All righty, Scordon. Let's open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Well, as you know, last week we have officially finished the first chapter of Philippians. We've been in it for a little while now. We've been in Philippians since uh, September. We're going into November now, and we have just finished the first chapter of Philippians. And God's been doing a work with it. We have seen God do things in my life. I've seen God do things in your life as well as we've gone through this wonderful book of uh, of the New Testament, but as we come together this morning, we move forward now to the second chapter, and it's a chapter that is centered around a central idea, a central idea of a call to Christ-likeness, a call to personal growth, a call to living the Christian life faithfully. But let's not forget why we are going through this book of the Bible in the first place. We are going through the book of Philippians because we as a church body have entered into a time, we've entered into a season where we are intentionally considering and intentionally seeking God to show us and to teach us what it means to be a church that intentionally does its operations for the glory of God. Because we want to be a church that serves God. We want to be a church that worships God. And that is what we are trying to do. Because at the end of the day, that's what church is about. That's what, why, that is God's design for church at the end of the day. To be a beacon of hope. To be an embassy of heaven. And to be whose ambassadors uh, shed, uh, share the message of salvation in Christ and in Christ alone and who live out their days as salt and light impacting the world around us, all while we confess that God is entirely worthy and deserving of all praise, honor, and glory. In fact, from this mission, um, that, that this, may, this mission that the church has, from this focus that we have entered into, we uh, have penned our own mission statement as a church, which you can find on the back of our bulletins, that at East Gordon, our mission is to train others to live for the glory of God as presented to us in the Bible. And so we have been growing in understanding as to what, that exactly, what exactly that means, and we have been doing it through the book of Philippians by the grace of God. And one more thing before we actually go to our passage, I've recently learned that there are other churches in our area that are also, some have already, and as others are about to, start a series covering the book of Philippians. 
You know what that means. That means that God is doing a work in other churches, leading churches to go in a direction similar to what we're doing with a focus that we have of intentionally worshiping God because that's what you find in the book of Philippians. And he's doing that work in other churches as well, and that's amazing to think about. And it's not just us on Sunday mornings who are coming before the throne of grace, seeking help from the presence of God. We see this happening in other churches as well, and we should rejoice in that. So let us prayerfully consider what the Word of God says to us this morning in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and the passage says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you not only let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this, mind, have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And praise God, Soli Deo Gloria, for the reading of his word today. In the past few years, we have seen numerous world events unfold which have greatly impacted the lives of many. We have witnessed political chaos, we have suffered from a pandemic, we have felt financial distress, we have seen cultural confusion, and right now there are two world, uh, wars which are unfolding in our world. A war in Europe and a war in the Middle East. On top of that, there have been many churches which have gone through seasons of great difficulty in the past few years. Some churches have gone through a season where they have lost pastors for various reasons. Some churches are going through a season where they are arguing amongst themselves. Other churches have even gone through church splits. And then there are other churches which have even had to close their doors. A lot has happened in the past few years, but I want you to consider something that I have noticed. It seems to me that whenever we as Christians are going through seasons of difficulty, whatever it may be, you can fill in the blank for whatever the situation may be at a given time, but it seems like we are almost tempted to use those situations, use those t uh, difficult times, use those times of suffering as an excuse to not worship God. Now we use these times of suffering as a time to ignore God almost. Sometimes these times of suffering drives us to prayer, but other times it's as though we are tempted to ignore God. And if we are neglecting our walk with God, if we are neglecting our worship of God, then it naturally follows that we are going to be spiritually unhealthy. And if we as Christians are spiritually unhealthy, then it naturally follows that the church body is going to be spiritually unhealthy as well. 
because, all because we have fallen into the temptation of allowing our problems to steal away our attention from the glory and worship of God. Now, is that the reason that we've seen so many churches go through uh, some very rough times in the past few years? Is that the, the, the whole reason? I'm not prepared to say that, but what I will say is that it is most certainly a contributing factor to what we have seen in the past few years. Not only that, but Paul also seems to make a connection between suffering and Christian living. Because remember, when Paul wrote this letter to the Philippian church, he wrote it to them while they, the Philippian church, were experiencing persecution from the Roman Empire. They were suffering. They were going through trial. They were going through difficulty. And yet, nowhere do you see in this letter Paul expressing the sentiment of something along the lines of, Hey guys, I know y'all are going through a bad time right now, so don't worry about your faith. Just do what you have to do. You don't see that sentiment anywhere in the words of Paul. Instead, you see him give a call, a call of worship, a call of Christian faithfulness, and a call to Christian growth in Christian character. Now, what, we're, what we actually see here in chapter 2 is Paul kind of laying out a few things which, are, which we could call uh, elements or factors of what a healthy church looks like. And that's something that we need to take seriously. That's something that we need to give serious consideration to because we want to be a healthy church, don't we? We want to be a church that lives for the glory of God. So let us consider what Paul says here. He basically, at, at the start of it, there's some a little later, but right at the start of it, he lists four things all at once. At the start of verse 1 of chapter 2, let's look at it. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. So four things, encouragement in Christ, Comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, and affection and sympathy. Those are four factors, four elements of what makes a healthy church. So let's try to break these down and understand what Paul is saying here. Number one, encouragement in Christ. What is the encouragement in Christ? Christ. Well, let's can try to consider what the Greek has to say about this. The Greek word for encouragement is paraklesis. It basically means to go alongside someone and provide them with the help which they are in need of, which they otherwise would not have. Paraklesis is the help that you get from someone else. That makes sense in and of itself, doesn't it? But let's go a little bit further with it. This Greek word, paraklesis, is also directly connected or closely associated with another Greek word known as parakleton or paraklete, both ultimately derivatives of the same word. And here's the incredible part of it. This word, paraclete, is the same word 
which God, or excuse me, that which Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit. Describes him as the paraclete, as the helper. So let's put all of that together. We have the encouragement in Christ is in reference to the help which is made for us or which is given to us by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, what is that help? Well, it's, it's the gift of salvation. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what the Holy Spirit has given us, the gift of being set free from our sinful chains, the gift of, 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 the, of the old man passing away, and behold, all things have been made new, uh, the gift of being a new creation in the eyes of God, the gift of being born again and raised to walk in the newness of Life For our salvation was willed by the Father, was accomplished by the Son, and it is presented to us by the Holy Spirit. So Paul is basically saying to us right here in this encouragement, of, encouragement in Christ, he's basically saying to us, hey, celebrate the gospel. Celebrate the salvation which you have been given. <coughs> Celebrate what God has done in your life. Celebrate that you are saved. But let's go a little bit further with that. Not just celebrate it in your life. Not just celebrate it in your personal walk with God. But also celebrate it as a church body. Which is to say, we as a church should find encouragement from the fact that there are brothers and sisters amongst us who are Christians. That, that, that we are celebrating that God has redeemed one, that God has redeemed us. That we've been raised to walk in the newness of life. We want to celebrate that. That's, and that's one of the reasons why recently I have been emphasizing so much the importance of sharing testimony. The importance of sharing the stories of how we have come to saving faith in Christ and in Christ alone. We've done a few of those at Table Talk. I've shared my testimony. Sydney has shared shared hers, and a few a few others have shared some other testimonies as as well. But I just I, and I I truly believe this. And hear me when I say this. I truly believe that God uses testimonies in an incredible way because it brings us face to face to reality that we are in need of a savior. Now the God who did the thing in that person's life is doing the same thing in your life. As, as well. And I, I believe God's using that in a powerful way among, amongst us even, even still. Last week, I'm going to pick on Devin for a little bit. Uh, last week, uh, when Devin shared, shared his testimony, it, it was amazing what, what God did with that. It was amazing to hear that story. It was amazing to hear uh, him share his, his testimony. But not only that, it was amazing for me to watch our congregation respond to his story. Because God used that story in an incredible, incredible 
way. But here's what I, what I want us to realize. What was happening when we were doing that was that we were experiencing exactly what this passage describes, encouragement in Christ. Now, from hearing of a story of salvation, we ourselves, who are believers, were encouraged by what had taken place. We found encouragement in Christ. We celebrated what God had done in a person's life, and we were celebrating what God was doing in our lives as well. So we find encouragement in Christ. Number two, comfort from love. The love of God is, is without doubt the most amazing and captivating truth of the biblical narrative to me. Because think about this for a moment. Why does God love you? Make it personal. Uh, personal. Ask yourself this question. Why does God love me? Because, because I don't have anything to offer Him. There is nothing appealing about me. Uh, I've done nothing to deserve his love. In fact, I've done many things to deserve his, his wrath. My sin is dark and vile. There are perversities upon perversities within my heart, and the work of my hands can produce nothing pleasing to him. I have sinned and I have fallen short of the glory of God, and yet he loves me anyway. He loves me anyway, not because of anything I've done, not because of anything I've said, not because of my character, not because of anything about me, but his love for me is centered entirely upon himself. It's who he is. God is love. It's, who, uh, it's uh, uh, an essential quality and character of who our Savior is. So our salvation and his love for us is not found in us, but rather his love is found in him. It's amazing to think about. And not only that, but from Genesis to Revelation, we bear witness to the greatest narrative, the greatest love story that has ever been told. God's plan of redeeming us by sending Christ to die on our behalf. That is the comfort of love. And it is this same love which we as a church are called to extend to one another. We want to be loving towards one another. That is a mark of a healthy church, a church that is loving towards its people. Number three, participation in the Spirit. Now, as we've already covered, the Holy Spirit does, uh, plays a role in our salvation. We call this uh, the doctrine of regeneration. It is that when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, it was the Holy Spirit who breathed new life into our souls, and behold, we are a new creation, and He compels us and draws us into faith and repentance into the name of Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. However, that is not all that the Holy Spirit does for us. The Holy Spirit also empowers us with something that we call spiritual gifts. Now, some of these spiritual gifts are more common, and then there are some spiritual gifts which are more uh, uh, on a spiritual side. But in any case, all of the spiritual gifts 
are made possible by the Holy Spirit and are used for the benefit of the church and is meant to give God the glory. Take me, for example. God, through the Holy Spirit, has gifted me with what I need in order to serve you as your pastor. Gifts of teaching, gifts of preaching, gifts of leadership, as well as other gifts as, as well. But here's, here's the thing. While God has indeed gifted me in, the, in those ways, that does not mean that all of the operations of our church are left up to me. That's not how it works. Because here's the thing. You've been gifted by the Holy Spirit as well. You've been gifted in incredible ways and gifted with what you need in order to benefit our church and in order to worship God and give God the glory because that is what a healthy church does. It is not Church is not a place where one person does everything. Church is a place where everyone, when all of its, where all of its members are active and participating in the Spirit. Take our fall festival, for example. Our fall festival did not happen because one person did everything. Our fall festival happened because the, our church body and its members, each of us served in different ways, and the resulting factor is that we were able to have that time and that time of outreach for our community. But it didn't happen because one person did everything. It happened because the members of our church served. And that's what a healthy church does by participating in the Spirit. Number four, affection and sympathy. To go without saying that, that affection and, and sympathy perfectly characterize Jesus, perfectly characterizes what we see in Jesus, for it was his affection for us, his love for us, that sent him to the cross at Calvary to pay the penalty of our sins so that we would be able to live for God, we would be able to uh, worship God. He took my shame, he took my sin, he took my penalty, he took what was meant for me, he took my punishment, all because of love, but also sympathy as well. Jesus understands what you're going through. Jesus understands the pains of this life perhaps better than you do. Say, for example, you are going through uh, friendship issues, uh, issues with your friends. Judas betrayed Jesus. Perhaps you are going through family issues. Jesus' own siblings did not believe he was the Messiah until after the resurrection. Perhaps you're going through financial distress. Jesus did not have a home to sleep in. Perhaps you are facing temptation. The devil himself stood before Jesus and tempted him with, with temptations that we cannot even possibly imagine. Perhaps you're scared of the world. The religious leaders of Jesus' day stood up against him at every opportunity, eventually leading to his crucifixion. Jesus understood. I'll give one more example. Perhaps you're dealing with the pain of a lost loved one. Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus knows your pain. And he knows it. I would, I would venture to say that Jesus knows it better than you do. But here's the thing. 
That sympathy and that affection is what we are called to embody and extend to one another as well. And I, it has always impressed me and it has always amazed me and it always made me thankful that whenever a member of our church family is going through a, 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 a painful season, a season of crisis, whatever it is, this church family has not shied away from that, not backed away from that, but has stood up and met that challenge and cared for its members because that's what a healthy church does. And I praise God for that. I'm thankful to see that. Now, Paul does not stop there. Paul actually continues. So I said there were four elements at the start of it. Well, Paul actually says, hey, if these things are here, if these elements are here in a healthy church, then make my joy complete by going further. And that brings us to verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Number five, be of the same mind. A healthy church is a church which stands united by being of the same mind. Now, being of the same mind, we need to be clear about this, because if we're not clear about this, this can cause some misunderstandings. Being of the same mind does not mean that we never disagree about anything. Being of the same mind does not mean that we always get along with each other in every single season and moment. Being of the same mind does not mean that we're always on the same page with all of the details with one another. But by being of the same mind, this is what it does mean. It means that we understand and are on the same page when it comes to what our mission as Christians and as a church is. And we don't have any confusion about that. Because our mission is more important than anything else. Our mission is more important than whatever disagreements we may have. Our mission, of as, as, I, as we uh, say it at our church body, of training others to live for the glory of God. But you know what that means at the end of the day? That's just another way of saying that this church is here to preach the gospel and see people's lives changed by the gospel. That's why we're here. And no disagreement can stand in the way of that. So a healthy church understands its mission and is of the same mind and is, in, and is united in the proclamation of that mission. Now, Paul goes on to mention one more quality of a healthy church. Look at verses 3 and 4. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Number six, humility. A healthy church is a church which is humble. 
You know, through the course of, of, our, of our nation's history, there have been many different cultural shifts. There have been different ideas that have come up through the course of, the, of these United States. However, there is an idea that has been popularized and it has stayed with this nation for many, many years, perhaps, even, ever, perhaps ever since its founding, a belief which we popper, popularly call the American dream. Is the idea that no matter where you are, where you come from, you by yourself are able to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and make something of yourself. Now, while there is nothing wrong with seeking to improve your life and seeking to uh, improve your your way of life, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. That type of thinking is not uh, that type of thinking where I'm the I'm going to look out for number one. This is about me. The sun rises on me and the sun sets upon my needs, whatever it may be. That type of thinking, that type of ideology, that type of philosophy has no place within Christianity. It has no place within the Christian church. I'm just here to look out for number one. You're not number one. That's what we have to realize. My life, my way, my rules, such thinking is not Christian thinking. We are not to walk down the path of self-promotion, but instead the path of humble service. Now we talked about this a little bit this past Wednesday during our business meeting, but I want to reemphasize something for us as a church, part of our um, evangelistic mission, part of our evangelistic mission of Christians of proclaiming the name of salvation in Christ and in Christ alone is 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 showing the is preaching the gospel, but also the idea of being humble, but also in that humility, being hospitable. That we are intentionally aware of the needs of others, including guests, and seek to meet those needs as we are able. The Bible speaks a great deal about this topic. For example, in Romans chapter 12, verse 13, it says, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And the author of Hebrews makes a very bold statement in relation to this topic where he says in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2, he says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So you see the Bible takes the concept of hospitality very very seriously, it emphasizes this concept over and over again. Now, let me uh, uh, the importance of that for a, a church body. Now, church, let me just say, whenever we have had visitors, and we've had an abundance of visitors over the past few few weeks, I, whenever I speak to our visitors, they always say something along the same lines: "Everybody in the church spoke to me." I felt welcomed, I felt at home because everybody in the church spoke to me. That's a good thing to hear. That, you should rejoice in that. You should celebrate that. 
Because God is using you to welcome people into our church. Because what you need, what we need to realize is that when we welcome people into the church, you're not just representing yourself. You're not just representing this church body. You're representing God. Take that seriously and don't neglect it. Now, as we were, uh, uh, as amazing as that is, and wonderful as that is, and as encouraged as, as we should be by that, there are certain areas that, and certain avenues which we could explore, which we are discussing about exploring for our church as it relates to how we can be more welcoming, how we can be more hospitable as we seek to meet the needs of our visitors and of our guests. One of the things that we're going to be doing, and uh, which many churches do, is, uh, is the placement of visitor cards, where we are able to have cards if a visitor should choose to, they're able to fill it out, and a, we as a church body would be able to connect with them, I would, I would be able to talk to them in a more prolonged way than I otherwise would be able to. This is something that many churches have found a lot of success in and something that we want to uh, look at as, as well. And we're going to try to have those as quickly as possible. We don't have them yet, but we're going to try to have those here as quickly as, as possible. A few other things is that, uh, we, and we discussed this this past Wednesday, there are a few lights in a few, in a few different areas of our church that just need to be replaced and just need to be improved, not necessarily in the sanctuary, but in other parts of our, of our church. The resulting fact is that we just want to take care of the facility that God has blessed us with. Because God has blessed us tremendously here. We have an incredible and wonderful facility, but being a good steward means taking care of what God has given us. So we want to take care of those needs as they present themselves. Another, another uh, uh, reality is that we have begun a conversation about uh, repainting our sanctuary, about repainting the sanctuary from the color that it presently is and trying to improve it, uh, give it a more modern uh, color, not, only, not simply because of that, but also because there's a lot of uh, uh, some scratches, a lot of scuff marks around the walls of our church. So we have opened up the conversation to try to move forward in making that, those ideas possible. Not because of just wanting to improve, not because of just this, this, uh, the idea of the changing of times, but because we want to be a church that is hospitable. And part of that means taking care of what God has blessed us with, and that means taking care of our facility as it is needed. Now, Go to verse 5, and we will see how Paul closes this section. Verse 5 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Paul closes by saying, by essentially conveying the message that everything which he has said has been centered around the idea that that is what we have already in Christ. And since we as believers have that in Christ right now, we want to share that with others. We want to share the encouragement in Christ. We want to share comfort from love. We want to share participation in the Spirit. We want to share affection and sympathy. We want to share being of the same mind, and we want to share being humble. 
so we can see people's lives changed and people's lives transformed for the glory of God and now so that we may be a healthy church that is humbly united in its mission for the glory of God. As we come to a close, I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I focused on the gospel mission in my life? Am I focused on the Great Commission? Am I focused on sharing the message of salvation which is found in Christ and in Christ alone? We will pray. We will have a time of invitation. Father, we pray thanksgiving for all your many blessings, Lord. Lord, we are so thankful to be called your children, so thankful to be called to be able to call you our Father who is in heaven. Lord, it is our prayer that you take our church and continue to move us forward, continue to transform us, continue to renew our spirit, continue to teach us to be a church that worships you and all that we do. And not only that, but Lord, we pray that we take intentional thought to what you have called us to be. In sharing the message of salvation, in sharing the truth that salvation is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And Lord, may we grow in the encouragement in Christ. May we grow in the comfort of love. May we grow in the participation of the Spirit and may we grow a being of the same mind and affection and sympathy and may we grow in humility as well as we seek to be a church that is set apart for your glory in all that we do. For you are a God that is worthy of that. Lord, teach us the greatness of your salvation and may we proclaim it to the world around us. For you are simply that worthy. It's all this that we pray in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.